Now, um, in Australia, everybody sits forward, so you wouldn't want to make uh, Dr. Kleinig feel bad. If you in the back could just ease up, he'd love to, he'd love to see your faces. That would be a nice thing. Uh, as you're doing, I'll just chatter a little bit. Um, first, I mean, this is the kickoff for Bible study for the year, so thanks very much for being here. I've had the privilege the last two days to be in long seminars with Dr. Kleinick. He's worked a very he heavy schedule since arriving uh, three weeks ago, and we're really pressing him over this weekend, so I'm extraordinarily grateful for uh, how hard he preached last night, and he's got a full day today. I will encourage you to come back this evening uh, to talk about spiritual warfare and maybe a little bit on, on dealing with anger. I heard fascinating lectures yesterday from Dr. Kleinick on these things. Uh, they're very apropos for us. And uh, I would encourage you, especially as leaders and elders, to contact other leaders and elders to come back. Uh, as I've always said, you know, Bible study is where the heavy lifting is done and everybody gets on the same page. And you, uh, sorry, I don't know. Didn't want him to think I was yelling at you. Are you I, I'll get you. <laughs> okay. Uh, do, you, do you, would you like an ear, can I get you an ear? Do you want an ear finger? An ear piece? No? Really? You sure? Okay. Okay. So louder I go. Uh, so, you know, the heavy lifting is always done in Bible study. And as I said from the first day I was here, you teach your way out of problems, um, obviously, from the teaching of Scripture. So we're very grateful to have Dr. Kleinick here. He's just at the end of a very long career serving the Australian Lutheran Church, our sister church, in many capacities as pastor, as uh, dean of the chapel, as professor on many committees. And... He's always well-received in America, too, which is why his travel schedule is so high. So I'm grateful that you're here today. I do urge you to come back tonight. And with that, if you would pray for us and bless us, Dr. Kleinick, we would be grateful to you. Thank you very much. Let's pray. We thank you, gracious Heavenly Father, that you sent your Son to overcome Satan and to undo all his works and ways. We pray for the gift of your Holy Spirit this morning to be our teacher, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, if you can't hear me or understand me, wave your hand and I'll repeat things. Um, I should really have a translator here because I speak Australian and you speak American. <laughs> And for some of you, it's pretty hard to hear uh, our lingo, but I'll do my best to speak up. Um, I want to do a Bible study on the gospel for today, Mark chapter 9, 14 through to 29. Mark 9, 14 through to 29. And uh, uh, the version I'll be using is the translation um, which we'll be having this morning in the worship booklet. Um, just to set the scene, first of all, and it's very important that we set the scene here, um, Jesus has gone to the uh, Mount Tabor with Peter and James and John, and the transfiguration occurred there. Do you remember? All of a sudden, Jesus is lit up before them, and they can see the glory of Jesus. Remember that incident? And uh, Peter and James and John want to stay there on the holy mountain, uh, seeing the glory of Jesus. But then Jesus comes down from the mountain after that great experience. They have seen the glory of Jesus. 
And um, Jesus, uh, Peter and James and John want to stay there, basking on the mountain, the glory of God. Um, but Jesus doesn't let them stay there. He comes down the mountain and enters our messy world. And what a messy scene it is. Now, um, and it's very much like any congregation that I've ever been in. Um, congregations aren't like that visionary experience on top of the mountain, but they are like the scene that unfolds before us now in this story. Take, we read from Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they is Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So when Pete, Jesus, Peter, and James, and John came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, that's Jesus, were greatly amazed. And they ran up to Jesus and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone in the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute. Mute is unable to speak, dumb. And whenever he seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast him out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when they entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This year is the year of Mark in the liturgical calendar. And uh, in Mark we have five stories in which Jesus deals with the demons, the unclean spirits. If we had time, it would be good to look at the progression of these stories. You can pick them out for yourself. So this is number five, and it's the climactic story 
of Jesus dealing with Satan in the form of an unclean spirit. It's a dramatic story. Uh, and it's, uh, there's a very strong contrast here between this poor boy who is controlled by this unclean spirit, very dramatic stuff, and the calm presence of Jesus. Now, um, just to set the scene, okay, um, we have uh, the following groups of people. You have Jesus, who's just come down the mountain with his three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Now, while he's up on the mountain, the other nine disciples have been left at the bottom of the mountain, and they've hit trouble with a big T, big trouble, big trouble. Um, so, uh, they're the nine disciples, and then you have... Uh, the scribes. The scribes are uh, educated, theologically educated uh, people. They know the Old Testament, they know God's law, they teach God's law. So if you like, they've gone to seminary, they have a uh, theological degree. Um, and then uh, around these, this inner core here of disciples and the scribes, there is the crowd. And in the crowd, there's the source of the problem, a father and his son. Okay, get the basic scene? Now, um, uh, the whole of this story uh, uh, centers around failure. Failure. Um, you live in a success society, America, which prizes success. And it's pretty hard to cope with failure and it's most of all, it's hard to cope with failure in the church. And here we get two groups of people who fail. The first person who's failed, guess who it is? Is the father. Just put yourself in the shoes of this man. He has this son. And this son is uh, controlled by an unclean spirit. Um, uh, this spirit convulses him with epileptic fits, but also makes him deaf and dumb so he can't hear, he can't speak, he can't even control himself. Uh, there's chaos in this family. Just imagine what they, that did to that family headed by that father. Now, as a good Jew, he would know that what opens the door to demons is breaking God's law. Um, breaking God's law. Um, and he has failed. We don't know whether he's failed spiritually or not, but he's failed at the point where, uh, which is most important for all of us fathers, what's the basic duty of every father? To care for his family and to care for his children. He can't care for this boy. He, uh, he this, this boy uh, throws himself into fire and water. There's something in him that wants to destroy him. Hey, get the basic picture? And the man is desperate, so he comes to where Jesus is. He can't find Jesus, so who does he batten onto? Which, which group? The nine disciples. And here we get the second failure. What do they fail to do? This man's desperate. He can't help himself, he can't help his boy. So they go to, if you like, the church. That's what's represented by these nine disciples. It's the church. And he says, help, please, help me spiritually. 
And what happens? They can't do. Failure number two. Now, what happens in the church when we fail? I know, I don't think it happens here in America, but I know what happens in Australia when you get failure, when the plans that we have, when the challenges that face us uh, confront us and we fail to deliver the goods. You know what happens in Australia? People start arguing and falling out with each other. Um, uh, uh, you, the uh, disciples argue among themselves, saying, well, maybe, and I can imagine this kind of stuff, maybe this guy's just an epileptic, so it's not really a case where we should uh, exorcise him. Uh, uh, maybe um, they'd argue and say, look, Jesus hasn't really helped us enough. We're not really equipped to deal with this. You know the kinds of arguments that we have with each other? But then you also get the scribes throwing their bit in, and they come in with theological arguments. Um, and they say, oh, this man has a demon-possessed son. This man is filled with the unclean spirit, so whose fault is it? It's dad and maybe mum. Everybody blames mum, don't they? Um, uh, everybody blames parents. If kids, something goes wrong with the children, it's always the parents' fault. And uh, from their theological perspective, they would say, since, you know, it's, it's, it's if you like, the, the right theology which has been applied in the wrong way. They said, this boy is demon-possessed, he's filled with an unclean spirit, therefore what? His parents must have sinned. They must have broken God's commandments, and that's God's punishing them because of uh, their sin. They've broken God's law. And so there's this ding-dong argument going on, um, messy situation. Um, and it's chaotic because you have, it all focuses around this poor boy uh, who is uh, filled with an unclean spirit. Okay, that's the basic scene. Now, how does Jesus deal with it? He comes down and he enters the mess. He stops the argument. And did you pick something funny happens? As soon as the crowd sees Jesus, what are they? They're amazed. Just Jesus' presence changes everything. Their focus is not on each other. Their focus is not on their failure. But they see Jesus and they're amazed. Maybe there's still a residue of the glory of God that was revealed to him on top of the mountain. Um, can you keep me uh, time? Because once I get wound up, uh, <laughs> I sort of lose track of myself and time. Uh, they are amazed. Um, and Jesus stops the argument by saying, you know, what are we arguing about? And then when Jesus asks that question, basically they become embarrassed. They don't want to say anything. He stops the argument, and eventually what happens? The father steps forward and uh, tells his story. Just listen to it again. Jesus opens the conversation, and he gets the father to tell his story. Teacher, the father says, I brought my son to you. The father didn't want to bring his son to the disciples. He wanted to bring his son to 
Jesus. What did the disciples fail to do? To bring it to Jesus. They thought that they could go ahead and do the work of Jesus by themselves. Okay, um, Jesus has given us the authority to deal with unclean spirits. Okay, then, let's give it a go. Okay, uh, we can manage by ourselves. Does that ever happen here in this congregation? Does that ever happen in your life? Okay. Um, and it's particularly when you're dealing with Satan and his realm, it's a temptation that we presume that we have the power, we have the ability, we have the knowledge, we have the skill, we have the expertise to deal with the problems. Are you facing problems in your life? Can I just jump out of a story? One of the things that distresses Christians in Australia more than anything else is the chaos in their families and communities. Um, how many of you, and don't put up your hands, have children or grandchildren that don't go to church, that have drifted away from Christ? How many of you have children who are antagonistic to Christ? That Satan has drawn away. How many of you have friends who've got themselves into trouble? How many of you have got children whose marriages are under stress or broken? Chaos. And when that happens, basically we are frustrated. Because, um, now, if you've got children who don't go to church, let's say, just taking that one case, what can you do to help them? They come to you, in a sense, for help, or you're aware of them. Um, if you try and lecture them or advise them, you turn them off and drive them away. What can you do to help people in this kind of situation? Okay, uh, let's go back to the story. Okay, um, teacher, I brought my son to you. Why? He has a spirit that makes him mute makes him dumb, he can't speak. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he phones and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast him out, to cast it out, and they were not able. Failure. And then Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I able to bear with you? Who's Jesus talking to when he's talking to when he says, Oh faithless generation? And what's his tone? Quite often I remember first reading this and I thought it was Jesus being very angry. And he's telling them off. No, Jesus isn't telling them off, he's just stating facts. What's the problem? Now, in Mark's Gospel, but in the whole of the New Testament, there's a close connection between faith and guess what? Prayer. Faithless Christians are Christians who have a notional faith. They believe all the stuff, but they really live by themselves apart from Jesus. They rely on their own resources to deal with the spiritual problems that face them. They don't uh, rely on Jesus. And they don't come to Jesus in prayer to help them, to get him in to solve their problems. Their own problems and the problems of people about them. Oh, faithless generation. I wonder if Jesus is looking here today 
to say, O faithless St. John's congregation. The problems you face are nowhere near the problems of this man. How long am I to endure this? And then comes Jesus' not command, but his invitation. What does he say? Bring him to me. Bring him to me. And the crowd brings this boy to Jesus. Um, I don't know whether you've noticed, as we've been going through Mark, how often it is that people bring other people to Jesus for help. Why is it that Mark keeps on uh, saying, and he could say just a peep, somebody came to Jesus, but why does he keep on emphasizing that Christian people bring other people to Jesus? Because he wants us to encourage us to bring other people to him. How do we bring other people to Jesus? Now, I can't put my children in my pocket. I can't piggyback them into uh, church, but I can bring them to church and I can bring them to Jesus by doing what? Praying for them. When you pray for somebody, you bring that person and that person's problem to Jesus and you hand it over to him. Um, Mark emphasizes this, and you'll see how this uh, uh, is emphasized then later on in the story. Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit, the unclean spirit, saw Jesus, remember, when the crowd sees Jesus, they are amazed at him. Now, when the unclean spirit sees Jesus, what does he do? He tries to kill the boy. Um, just listen to what he does. Uh, when the spirit saw him, immediately and convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, rolling about, foaming at the mouth. Now, Jesus isn't at all put off by that. It's huffing and puffing. He doesn't even take it terribly seriously. He says to the father, how long has this been happening to this boy? And the father says, from childhood, it's often cast him in fire and water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That's what we do when we pray for somebody. We come to Jesus and we say, look, Jesus, pity us, have compassion on us, help us out. We can't help ourselves. We've failed, we've done our best, um, and we've fallen out with each other, we argue with each other, uh, the problem's too big for us. Please take over. Okay, and what does Jesus say? If you can, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. Now, people sometimes misimply this thing and say, as long as you've got confidence, self-confidence, then anything will happen. Um, anything is possible for him who believes. The person who believes doesn't have confidence in himself, but has confidence in Jesus. So, anything is possible for a person who puts his trust in Jesus. Trust, when we trust in Jesus, we receive help from Jesus. And the father cottons on, and immediately the father of child says, I believe, he confesses his faith in Jesus, but he also acknowledges that like you and me, that faith is, is shaky. Um, do you sometimes feel like this man? Lord, I believe, but 
help my unbelief? Um, that's his prayer to Jesus. Um, and what does Jesus do? When Jesus, now we get the third scene, when Jesus sees the crowd running together, why did the crowd run together? Oh, this is a dramatic situation. Let's see what's going on. Um, the crowd comes running together. He rebukes the unclean spirit, saying, you mute and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Now, I can imagine Jesus saying this, not loud, sort of yelling at the top of his voice because Jesus didn't yell at people. Jesus just spoke gently to people. You, what did he say? You mute and deaf spirit, come out. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. He just speaks a word. It's as simple as that. And what happens? It doesn't come out immediately. He, it convulses the boy, tosses him on the ground, and it looks as if he's dead. And then Jesus does something very gently. He just picks him up, raises him, and he's restored to perfect health. Absolutely astonishing. Just by his word, Jesus deals with this unclean spirit. And the whole situation has changed. The whole mess, the disorder is ordered. Everything is as it should be. We don't know anything more about this man. We don't know anything more about the father, but you can imagine how the father went home feeling what? Absolutely glad and rejoicing. And everybody's astonished what goes on. Now, and then the story ends with uh, Jesus leaving the scene. He doesn't make a big uh, sermon. He doesn't say, oh, everybody note here, I'm the Messiah, I fix everything up. He just lets the crowd go. He doesn't argue with anybody. He doesn't argue with the crowd. He doesn't argue with the scribes. He just lets them be, and he goes into the house with his disciples. And the disciples come, and they say, look, why did we fail? Why did we fail? When you fail as a Christian, why do you fail? And Jesus gives a very simple answer. It's so simple that you can say, oh, this is just too simple. Jesus says, this kind can only be driven out how? By prayer. So this is a story about the importance of prayer and the importance of prayer in dealing with Satan and all the powers of darkness. How do you get Satan out of your marriage? How do you get Satan out of your family? How do you get Satan out of your congregation? How do you get Satan out of this community? How? I pray. It's as simple as that. Um, it has nothing to do with our wisdom, ability, strength, knowledge, expertise. It is looking to Jesus, taking him at his word, and relying on him, praying to him. How are we going? Okay, just one final thing is to, to, to wrap things up. Um, uh, what's interesting is that this story... Um, uh, was applied in the early church um, to what happens in baptism. Now, I don't know what, what you... I was going to ask you about the order that you have in baptism, but one of the options that we have in our baptismal order in the Lutheran Church of Australia is that anybody who's brought into baptism, uh, the pastor will say, you unclean spirit, uh, uh, in the name of Jesus, leave this person and never... Uh, and uh, I command you to leave this person and never enter him again. Okay? Can you see that what it takes uh, is this 
story and applies it to baptism. Now, why is it applied to baptism? Because all of you, in a sense, are in the shoes of this boy. You're not demon-possessed. You were never demon-possessed. But you were born in the uh, kingdom of Satan. And in baptism, Jesus rescued you from Satan. Now, what does Satan always want to do? Um, if you like, you get very in graphic terms, in exaggerated terms, what Satan wants to do to you and your life all the time. Satan wants to stop your ears so that you don't hear what? The Word of God, the voice of God. And if you don't hear the voice of God, if you're deaf to God, all of us were born deaf to God. And in baptism, our ears were opened. Every Sunday, our ears are opened so that we hear the Word of God. We hear God speaking to us and giving His Spirit to us. And once we hear God, what happens? We're able to speak. Speak how? We can speak to God. We can pray. We can praise. That's what a, being a Christian is. A person whose ears have been opened, whose tongue's been loosed. Ears open so that we hear the Word of God and receive all God's gifts. Um, that's how we, you, those of you who have been to the first service receive the gifts of God. That's how those of you come to the second service receive the gifts of God. So our ears are opened. We're given the gift of hearing. Our tongue's loosed. Um, so that we can then be children of God and serve him. I'll, I'll end there. How about that for timing? Uh, look, bless you all in your Christian walk. Um, it's a great joy to be here, and I would like, you to, I'd like to encourage you um, to do two things, to encourage you to be uh, persistent in prayer. Um, we live in a time when we, you know, we're experiencing enormous chaos all around us, and I don't need, need to tell you that. Now, um, on the one hand, we can look at this kind of chaos and we can just recoil from it. It's too hard, and we can, it, we can try and argue about what's caused all this chaos. You know, why is it that people have so many sexual problems, marital problems, family problems, and we can try and diagnose it and argue about it? Um, it doesn't achieve anything. What's the only thing that achieves something? Is prayer. Be persistent in prayer, not just for yourselves, but also for the people in your family. And have your eyes open for people who particularly need your prayers because they are under attack from the evil one. I'll have more to say about that tonight. We may indeed, because that's the best prayer of all, the Lord's Prayer, which is prayed against Satan. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.